Good morning, Apex. Beautiful. Well, welcome. My name is Jason Zastro. I serve on staff. I help out with our leadership development. You kind of maybe, if you're new, heard that uh, we meet throughout the week uh, in our communities on mission, uh, in our house churches, in our households. Uh, these little groups of in pockets of uh, God's kingdom expressed where we are learning to figure out how to live as community, uh, as we said, on mission. Uh, you guys can pray for us tonight. We have a gathering of all of our leaders uh, to continue to reflect on what it is that God is saying to us and what it is that we're going to do about it. Um, so we're going to continue where we left off in John. Uh, we're now entering into John 13. So John chapters 1 through 12, a lot of scholars will say uh, that's kind of book one. Uh, these, it's the book of uh, the seven sayings, the seven miracles, uh, the, the book of the works of ministry of Jesus. Uh, it spans the whole of his life, and not just that, but if you go back to John chapter 1, it goes all the way back to creation. So 12 chapters to deal with a long time. Now, we get to John chapter 13, and things begin to slow down a lot. Uh, we get into John 13, uh, most likely the Thursday evening of Passover, um, and from there into Jesus' uh, death and resurrection, and then his ascension. And so John has taken all these little bits and pieces of theology, of his high Christology, his high view of Jesus, and now we're going to see it on full display here in these last few days that Jesus shares with his disciples, with humanity on earth. So let's slow down, and we're going to read from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. God's word reads this way. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying, with, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he who knew who was going to betray for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said that not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to the, his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you shall also wash one another's feet. 
I've set an example that you should do as I have done to you. Very truly I say to you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Father God, as we are encountered today through the revelation of your word, um, we ask that your spirit would come and continue to teach us all that Jesus taught the disciples. God, that uh, you would help us to see and look at Jesus's example here, and we would mimic ourselves after him, that we would uh, model ourselves after him. Lord, that you would give us a heart of service, that you would make a new heart in us today, and that you would clean us. God, that from this place we would go and Apex would be known for a, as a community that loves her city. God, that we would be known as people who love others more than anything else because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, uh, I'm known for sharing embarrassing stories about myself and I just figured why not up here? Um, one of my biggest fears in life is smelling. Some people are afraid of the dark. Some people are afraid of uh, bees. Some people are afraid of, you know, their in-laws. <laughs> that was a joke that I wasn't really thinking would land the way it did because <laughs> I forgot that I'm going to have some. Um, still processing through not being single for so long. But I'm afraid of smelling. <laughs> I'm afraid of smelling. Uh, in fact, uh, you could ask Becky, uh, my fiance, uh, I probably ask her at least two to three times a day, do I smell? Do I smell? Do I smell? Do I smell? Um, and it's like, it's rooted in something not so good. Uh, so I grew up in Miamisburg. And um, Miamisburg is uh, kind of one of those communities where there's as many people who are of wealth as people who aren't of wealth. And that kind of cultural and, you know, economic divide was, was very well, you know, seen as a kid, even on the playground. Who would hang out with who and, and all that sort of thing. And my family came from Dayton Public Schools, and so I knew that we were coming from a place of not great wealth, uh, to Miamisburg, which is a place of, of more wealth. And uh, there were kids on the playground who you could smell. Uh, you, you, you know, and, and kids who smell usually kind of come from worse off backgrounds because there may not be care for them or there may be trauma. And so they're, you know, unknowingly they soil themselves. Um, you know, and so I was always afraid of being what was often called a dirty and so I showered and cleaned as much as I could. Now, there are times when I don't shower and clean, um, which is fine because uh, I don't know why I'm sharing that. Um, <laughs> you know, there was always this thing that was going to happen when I preached where I was just like, my personality type is I go this far and then all of a sudden, like, I, it's just you dive deep. And, and I was always wondering when that would happen, and apparently it's happening today. Um, and, but that's, a, that's a, I think, a constant fear for many of us. And so we shower every day. We, we clean ourselves every day. In fact, we may begin to look down upon those who don't. And we may not want to associate ourselves with those who don't. 
or we will uh, we'll judge them. Why aren't they cleaning? Oh, wouldn't they just clean themselves up so they could get a job and get out of the situation? This whole idea of cleanliness isn't anything foreign to us in our culture. As we just read about in this passage, that Jesus engages in an act of cleaning his disciples. So let's look back. Let's look back at the story of God, and, and where did this thing of cleanliness, of, of purity, of making sure that everything's washed up nice and tidy and neat come from? Well, if you look at the story of God as it begins in the garden, everything's beautiful. Everything is clean. Everything is the way it ought to be. But because of sin, because of a rejection of God's word, which was a word that brought life, and thereby rejecting God's word brought in death, it brought in unclean, it brought in uh, distortion. And not just that, but there is this enemy, this serpent, that is always biting our, biting our heel, as, as said there. And, 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 and serpents have poison and And so not just that, are we getting dirty on the outside, but it's actually causing us to be dirty on the inside. And that is something that is wrestled through, and God gives a promise that one day he's going to send through the woman his seed who will crush the head of the serpent. That promise continues to grow and continues to to expand as... uh, you even see in the book of Noah, not in the book of Noah, in the book of Genesis with the story of Noah, God's earth is completely covered in death. Everyone is murdering each other. Brother are turning against brother. And God looks out and he says, it's all, it's all death. My creation has been destroyed. They're not caring for the earth the way I called them to. They're not loving them as I called them to. And in a great act of cleansing, He sent the waters. As we continue on in the story of Abraham, Abraham himself goes through a cleansing. He receives a new name, both he and his wife, one in which they go from Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah, where the breath of God enters into their name and into their identity. And there's a new way of life that they are to live. Abram, Abraham at this point takes that mindset and when the three guests arrive, the first thing he says is, and though most likely he has servants who can do this, can I wash your feet? There's something about this new identity that Abram has, that Abraham has, that is now being extended and offered to his guests. As Egypt Uh, as we just read, as as Israel comes out of Egypt, they go through a a, a cleanse of the great sea as it is divided, and later on into Jordan. And that, that idea of purifying waters is something that they carry into their worship. And so priests would often wash themselves ritually there would be a richling sprinkling of those who come to offer sacrifices. By the time that we get to Jesus, though, this sense of cleanliness that comes purely from God's activity in the life of those who follow them was replaced by an attempt to clean ourselves. 
And so the law became something that was used to manipulate ourselves and our standing before God as opposed to an actual receiving of the cleanliness that he offers. And this is what Jesus himself says in John chapter, I'm sorry, in Mark 7, verses 14 and 15, in which Jesus is having this entire conversation about those things that defile. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and he said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. What Jesus is saying is we all have this intrinsic problem that it's, of course, the world around us in many ways can leave stains but there's even something more deep, something more intrinsic, something more baseline in us that no matter what we try to do and everything, no matter how good it is, there is still a selfishness at work. There is still a brokenness at work. There is still a nature of sin at work, of missing the mark. Paul wrestles through that in Romans chapter 7 and he says, like, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I do want to do, I uh, don't do. You know, what's to become of me, O wretched man? And he looks to Jesus as the only one who can bring any sense of salvation or victory in his life. Often cleanliness and uncleanliness within uh, the, the Bible uh, has to do not just with things that uh, uh, happen to us, but things that are intrinsic into who we are. And so let's just take a moment then. Like, this is fun now. Like, hey, we talked about smelling. <laughs> right? All of us can easily name the ways in which we have failed just today. Doesn't seem very hopeful, does it? And we're like, oh man, I didn't know we were gonna do a pity party today. We're not. We're gonna be looking to Jesus for victory. When we get to this passage, Jesus begins, or John, I should say, begins this account in the most beautiful way. In the latter part of verse one, he says this, of Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. For John, for, for Jesus, everything that Jesus is doing is operated by divine love. Everything. His love is what wakes him up. God's love through Jesus is what sends him out. And it's in God's love that he rests his head at night. It's in love 
that he hangs on the cross for us. Everything that he is doing is because of love. As John will continue to tell the story of Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection in these last few chapters, I think Jesus begins this section, John begins this section telling about Jesus in this story of foot washing because he wants to display what life with the God of the universe is like. He's wanting to show his disciples the very nature of what love looks like and what it does. And so, then, Jesus gets up. And now that we see this in verse 3, he knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that all he had come from God was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And he poured out the water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Notice this, verse 3 at the beginning, it says, Jesus knew. He knew. In his gut, he had a strong sense of identity and purpose. God's love, the Father's love, was the place from which he did all these things. Have you ever noticed that anything that you try to do things apart from the love of God, it ends up becoming about us instead of the love of God? Jesus always does everything that the Father is showing him and only what the Father is showing him. And so Jesus is showing this is an opportunity, this is an activity for us to discover how it is that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit relate to each other, where they're always looking to one another for love, for purpose, for glory. And then now we are invited into that same activity of love, purpose, and glory. So Jesus gets down on his hands and his feet, and he washes his disciples' feet. And most of the disciples are good with it. We've got two that stand out here, and we're going to look at them in a little bit, but we've got Peter, who's kind of like, I want you to do it on my terms. You can wash me, God, but it's got to be on my terms. See? And Judas, though receives the washing, isn't transformed by it. Doesn't, doesn't truly receive the washing. And he goes out and betrays Jesus, and yet Jesus washes him still. For me, foot washing is part of the tradition within which I grew up. Um, some of you guys uh, may have heard of Amish. So we, the background that I come from is called Brethren. And so just to kind of do a little bit of like church history tree for a moment, there was this group called the Anabaptists way back in the day. There was like during the Reformation in the 1600s, there was the Catholics. And then from there was the Protestant movement. And then there was another movement called the Anabaptist movement who said, hey, you Protestants, Lutherans, and all that, you didn't go far enough. We're going to go even further. And so there was called what was the Radical Reformation. Those folks were folks like Menno Simons, through whom the Mennonites came. 
um, or uh, others in those parts of the world. And a lot of them ended up coming over here and they had differing expressions of how they went all the way from the simple plain dress that we see in the Amish up in Holmes County to folks like me who you couldn't ever tell that I was related spiritually or traditionally to the Amish, uh, which I am. Um, and so I grew up in a, a, a tradition called the Grace Brethren, and in the Grace Brethren, uh, we practice foot washing. Um, and what we would do when we would have our evenings of communion, um, we would have a simple meal, we would have foot washing, and then we would share in the bread and the cup. And it was always interesting because you were like, you know, mom the day of would be like, okay, now make sure you clip your toenails. And there was actually like the washing of the feet before we washed the feet. And I'd always be like, mom, why are we washing our feet? You know, some guy's going to be washing it later tonight. That's like, I don't get the point. Isn't the point. I was like, I want to get like my feet dirty, if anything. And so we would have this time and it was this beautiful and intimate experience that we got to share. Um, I know I've got some friends in this place, some brothers and sisters who come from that same background. Um, and it's not just something that is done just within these expressions, but uh, many within even higher liturgical expressions of the church will on Maundy Thursday, which is the Thursday before Good Friday, uh, they'll have a foot washing service. Um, now what I thought about doing was having us all wash our feet uh, today, but um, everyone on the gathering team said that's gonna take too much time and it might be too weird for people who are new. So we're not gonna do that. Uh, but instead, what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite Abe and Kim and Aiden up. A couple weeks ago, uh, after I preached, Aiden was like, hey, if you ever need help preaching, let me know. And so I said, I actually have a thing. So this is Aiden's opportunity. This is kind of like his, his first display of, 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 a, of a, a sermon, if you want. And so let's give them a warm welcome. And so it was common during Jesus' time that when you would have a when you would have an evening like they did, a servant would be brought out, a slave would be brought out to serve the guests. And they would do what Jesus, what Kim and Abe and Aiden are getting ready to do right now. And they would gird themselves up. And most likely people were already clean. They've already kind of bathed. They've already done the thing that they're supposed to do in order to care for themselves. But any time that you're going out into the streets and uh, doing your daily business, your feet get dirty. And you might think, well, they're wearing sandals. Why, why, do, why does it matter if, you know, they're just going to put their feet underneath the table? That's what we saw in Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper, right? They're all sitting at a table. Well, that's not what they're doing in these upper rooms. There's actually having a huge, almost like a circle table in which they are seated on pillows or, or lower seats and their feet are up and reclined. And so that's why you will wash the feet, because they stink. And so because they sat in this reclined position, um, they would then, a servant would go and wash everyone's feet. Now what is it that we see Jesus do? He takes on this action of a servant, of a slave, and he gets down on his hands and his feet, and he washes his disciples' feet himself. 
And so many of us may not have ever seen a foot washing before. So we're just going to observe now a simple foot washing between Abram, Abe and Kim and Aiden.
So Becky will give you guys the mic, but I just want to ask you guys a few questions about your experience. Kim, let's start with you. What was that like? Humbling. Yeah? Humbling to have someone else watch, wash your feet, because that's typically considered the dirtiest part of you. But I guess it's reflective of how Jesus loves the dirtiest part of us, mm. I guess. What about you, Abe? What was that experience like for you? Uh, well, it was uh, definitely kind of weird just doing that in front of uh, our family here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, independent at home, it's different. Uh, so very unique experience. Um, one of the first things that, that comes to mind is just humility. Um, just, you know, the fact that we can do this. And no matter what, what status we are and in society, just come in and just be on the same playing yeah. field, so to speak, we're on the, the same level. Yeah. So, a little weird, but um, definitely a humbling Good. experience. What about you, Aiden? What was it like for you? That was great. Yeah? And good. Good. Very good. Well, let's give them a round of applause, okay? I was talking with my grandma who uh, grew up in the same faith tradition as me, and she was saying just, you know, we we're talking about uh, foot washing, and uh, she was saying, you know, I've always, I've always enjoyed foot washing, but the most powerful foot washing experience I ever had was with my sister. The most powerful foot washing experience I ever had was with my sister. Uh, my aunt had cancer and um, she was on her dying, on her dying deathbed. And, um, and she was, as you know, those who have cancer, circulation can be poor, all of that can be rough. And my aunt just asked her, can you, can you wash my feet? And my grandma was like, oh, I know how to do this. I've been doing this for like 80 years. And so she got down on my aunt Thelma's floor and just slowly just and meticulously washed her feet and trimmed her nails, gave her a pedicure, and just made her feel loved. And that's what, that's what this exercise, that's what this practice is about. It's about love. When Jesus goes on and he says that I'm giving you this to you as a model for you to do. I love the tradition that I come from. My grandfather's probably rolling over in his grave right now. I don't think he's necessarily saying that we have got to do foot washing like every time we get together. I think what Jesus is saying is we need to do acts of constant humble service towards others. Where we enter into the, duck, the muck and the mire and the things that make people unclean. Things that make people dirty. Mental health, abuse, trauma, 
all the things that take place within our society that just cause us to be unclean. And to not be afraid, but to get on our hands and our feet and to love. Jesus, he says, has already done the work. I have made you clean. And John 15, when we get there in a couple weeks, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and the Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus speaks his salvation over us. What we get to do then now is to enter into just those daily acts of cleaning. This past Tuesday, um, at prayer, um, at flow prayer on Tuesday night, I came in a little bit late and I was helping Becky get the kids down. And I've been dealing with some really bad depression lately. And I saw that they were praying over people for healing. And I was like, do I want to go up? Because that means I've got to tell people I'm struggling. But it's not good right now. And I offered. And I asked to pray. I was surrounded by my brothers and sisters. I'm sure by hosts of angels. And after they prayed, I didn't feel happy. But I did feel loved. I felt cared for. I got a word from Mike that spoke deeper and cut deeper than anything I had ever thought would. What was funny, though, is I got in the car, and I turned on the radio, and I never listen to Christian music. But the radio, there was a song that was playing that just said, There'll be joy in the morning. There'll be joy in the morning. So don't give up and don't lose hope because there'll be joy in the morning. And as that song came on, the next lyric was, look to the horizon and see the sunrise. And I kid you not, my car was filled with golden light as the sun came across the horizon. Jesus cleaned me. And my brothers and sisters helped clean too. And that's what we get to do, brothers and sisters. So there's an invitation today. The invitation is this. If you need cleaning, let your brothers and sisters help clean it. If you need to be fully clean, Jesus offers it.
here's the challenge. The challenge is for us to go and also get our feet dirty because we're with people who need some love. God is gracious to us and because he is gracious to us, we are grateful. And from that place of gratefulness, we get to be generous with his love. It's what my friend Deb taught me this week. He is gracious to us from that we are grateful and so we get to be generous with his love. As the band comes to play, this space is open for you. If you need cleaning today, come forward. These three mats in the middle are available for you if you want someone to pray with you. And these mats on the side are available if you'd rather not. Come forward if you need some cleaning. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus, but you'd like to know him. You'd like to experience his cleaning. You come forward too. Just get Mike or me or Becky and just say, I want to I wanna have a relationship with Jesus. Will you tell me about that? And then every single one of us, let's go from this place and be willing to get our feet dirty. Being on mission is an act of service to others, first and foremost. And that's what we are all called to do. Let me pray.